Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living the solutions. Today I have a colleague on who I learned about online. I read an article that he that he wrote entitled Physicians, Physicians Shouldn't Get Too Attached to the Organizations They're Working For. And one of the things I, we talk in the show about is the corporatization of our healthcare system. I personally have not been very happy with it. I think it's actually affected in a negative way the doctor-patient relationship. And I've lost colleagues to leaving the healthcare profession because they're just so miserable. And what Dr. Dan, Dr. Sunil Dan, my guest today, is somebody who can speak to this from so many different aspects. He grew up in, in England. He went to medical school in Cardiff University, and he did his residency in the United States. So he has a wealth of knowledge about the different healthcare systems out there. You know, we have a lot of the single-payer folks who swear that single-payer and socialized medicine is the way to go, and we have direct primary care doctors, the other extreme, who believe it should be about free market medicine and having the patient become consumers and and having the doctor-patient relationship be the forefront, not driven by academics and administrators. So he can speak to a lot of different aspects of it, and I'm, I'm really happy to have him on the show. Not only is he a board-certified internal medicine physician, he's also an author and a speaker, and uh, I think a thought leader. So, Dr. Dan, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I gave a, a brief overview of, of your history. It's fascinating because you've you've seen and, and part, you've partaken of many aspects of our healthcare system. And I want to ask first, what do you think of the direction that we're going in now? And prior to that, how did you, what made you become a doctor? Because I think that's the most important question. I think it's a calling and I'm always interested to know how people choose the profession. Yeah, so um, my um, journey into medicine began uh, when I was very young growing up in the UK. I um, had toyed with many different professions growing up. I always knew I had an interest in science. I thought for a little bit about becoming an airline pilot, and then I was on to being a, a vet, an animal doctor. And then actually it was a, a very personal event when I was a teenager around 16, 17. My uncle, who I was very close to, um, sadly got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And at the time, it, I was very young. All of this was, was new to me. I hadn't had much experience with illness or death. And unfortunately, his cancer had already metastasized, and he went on a downward spiral and ended up passing away in just a few weeks. It was so advanced, and that had a profound impact on me at the time. And I would say that would be the, the one event that really turned me on to a career in medicine, uh, working in healthcare, being involved in uh, the science behind health and, and really working to get people better. And uh, from then it was just um, medical school um, that was in my mind and I applied, got into uh, a medical school called Cardiff University, which is about two hours west of um, where we live just outside London. And uh, medical school for me, like it is for, for many people, um, you start off with very high ideals and you have all these hopes and dreams. And it really withers by it's a terrific experience. It's a life-changing experience um, as you move from um, science to, to clinical medicine in um, the third to the fifth years. It's five years long in the UK. And while I was training, I always knew that I wanted the experience of training overseas because the way that we train in the UK is very different from the US. Over there, it takes a lot longer to become an attending physician. And there's a lot of flexibility in between. A lot of UK doctors actually go to um, the uh, down under, actually, to Australia or New Zealand, which are the most popular destinations as our systems are compatible. I had actually visited the US lots of times. I had friends and relatives over here and, and was very interested in training in the US. So I did my qualifying exams, the USMLE, 
while I was in medical school and then worked in the UK system for about a year. That's the National Health Service, fully mm-hmm. socialized healthcare system. In my final year of medical school, I also did an elective in Australia, which was a very interesting experience. They have a, I would say, a, a system which is in between the UK and the US in terms of it being a public and private mix. And I was working in Adelaide, South Australia. I spent some time with the Royal Flying Doctor Service going on missions for the outback and usually uh, bringing back very sick indigenous folk aborigines uh, back towards the state of the art ICU. So I saw a lot while I was down there and then came back, finished medical school, and a year and a half later I was in the, the U.S. for my residency, which I did in uh, Baltimore. And initially my plan was to um, finish practice and then basically start my own, so finish residency and then basically start my own practice, which is very much the thing around 15 years ago or so when I was starting. And then by the time I had finished uh, residency, we'd already seen a lot of changes and um, it was basically almost impossible. Uh, it was unheard of to start your own practice at the time. We were seeing this huge uh, shift in the pendulum towards employment and, and healthcare becoming very corporatized. So I became a hospitalist, and since then I've worked up and down the East Coast, had a few different experiences. Now I do a mix of um, clinical medicine and um, other non-clinical work at the side, including my speaking, consulting, and, and um, business venture doc stop. And I, I found a healthy mix, but um, I have seen it all along the way and seen how much medicine has changed, much of the ha- unhappiness that you alluded to before, I've seen it at very close quarters and unfortunately I've reached a, a stage where I think it's almost impossible to be happy as a full-time employed physician as things currently exist. So so I found it a healthy mix, but of course our system faces tremendous challenges and problems and where we go from here is, is anyone's guess, but um, I'm very much on this journey and uh, have my own thoughts on what we can do to improve healthcare and make it the best system. Well, just from a standpoint of the Australian system, which I didn't know was a mix of public and private, or how do you see, how did that work? I mean, you're going from the UK, and I think doesn't the UK now offer, you can do private medicine or people can pay to have private doctors? Unlike Canada, I don't think you're allowed to have that at all there. You can have private doctors, but the private sector in the UK is very small for a relatively wealthy country. It is a tiny private sector, so the vast majority of people go to the national health care system, which is, to be fair, a very noble concept, and my views on it have changed over the years. But um, I, I think that it, it, it started back after World War II when the entire country was devastation. It was a very good concept that, that care will be free at the point of use and people will never see a medical bill. Um, but that was back in, uh, in the 1940s, and now things have changed a lot with expensive treatments and, and people living longer. Mm-hmm. And there's huge debate over there as to whether it's sustainable or not. Australia actually did a, a very interesting thing, and my understanding of their history was that they had a fully public, centralized healthcare system, which was facing financial difficulties. And then uh, at some point in the last um, few decades, what they did was they encouraged people to get out their own insurance. So they said, okay, we'll have a public health care system, which you can use any time if you need it. But if you buy your own insurance, you will get tax rebate and financial incentives to do so. So what that what happened then was everyone who could afford it just purchased their own private insurance, relieved the load of the public health care system, but then they had the two systems operate in tandem with each other. I remember picking up people in ambulances and we would take them to different hospitals according to whether they had a public or private health insurance card. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I know we have to take our first break, but I want to just plant this thought. Is the cost of health care in the UK, in Australia, for example, different than it is here? I mean, we have the most expensive health care system. I think it's artificial, but it's it's what we have right now. Do they have more cost controls and and more reasonable prices in their healthcare delivery model than we do? And think about that for a second. Let's take our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. 
having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat, why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. If you've tried taking over-the-counter medications but still have problems with nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, sinus headaches, or a dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, why not fix the problem? From natural integrative treatment to minimally invasive surgery, Peachtree ENT Center will work with you to find the solution that works best for you. Call 404-591-9100 today to make an appointment or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Sunil Don. And before the break, I was asking about the cost of the healthcare delivery system. I mean, we have a crony-based system in the United States where everybody who's got their hand stuck in the pie actually has a monopoly and it's completely artificial. How does this compare to Australia or the UK? Do you see the same things in terms of cost inflation there? Well, well, I love the way you describe this, actually, um, as, as so many people having their hands in the pie. And we've just got a terribly complex system. And I think if ever there was an appropriate use of the word swamp, it <laughs> would be healthcare um, with what we have at the moment. Now, in the UK and Australia, you have to remember they are smaller countries in terms of population. Mm-hmm. And um, because uh, of the way uh, everything is set up over there, the government has strong negotiating power when it comes to buying medications and other treatments, many of which come from the U.S. So the treatment costs will be lower over there because they're negotiated at a much higher level and uh, companies can't just go in and sell directly over there to the hospitals and, and other institutions. And if they do, it's on a very small scale. So the, the cost, if, if you would take the, the typical cost, um, yes, um, it is lower. But I feel that um, if you look at many different sectors, costs are higher in the U.S., whether you're talking about construction or other industries, just getting things done, manpower tends to cost more because wages are also higher here as well. In terms of, um, say, if you take traditional nurse salaries, they are significantly lower in the U.K. and U.S., but then in the U.K. and Australia because um, you have to remember that other factors such as um, debt doesn't come into it as much as over here. So everything is artificially increased uh, in this country uh, as a result. Um, physicians will obviously have to charge more because they have to take into account that their salaries need to be higher, whereas in the UK and Australia, they won't have that concern. Typically, when patients go into hospital in the UK, I would say if you take the average admission for congestive heart failure, the total cost will be less. But then you have to factor in how much of the cost is artificially high over here because hospitals and institutions are deliberately overbilling because they know they're only going to recoup a small amount or percentage of what they actually bill for. Well, and uh, I think the administrator, the, the ratio of doctors to administrators is completely skewed here. And I think that's where most of the money goes to. I, I'm with you. The doctors most likely make more money, but I as an independent doctor, I can tell you that's not the case for independent docs. So if you're employed by a hospital, and I think the pendulum is swinging back the other way. There was a movement towards people, like when I left residency, people becoming employed 
was it 60% now, where before it was 60% independent. But I think now that's going by the wayside, it seems, and people are now leaving a hospital setting and going back out on their own because the grass wasn't greener on the side. But speak, if you can, to the administrator side. There's so much infrastructure that's not delivering patient care in our system. Or is it a 16 to 1 doctor administrator, administrator to doctor ratio? And those guys aren't yeah. providing patient care, but they're making out big bucks, you know? Three figure exactly. out. Especially when you add it to a lot, I agree. Like, I've seen, I guess, anywhere between 60 to 20 administrators for every doctor and the various charts that have been circulated online that have shown this in eye popping detail how since 1970, the number of physicians has basically stayed almost static, whereas the number of administrators has gone up several thousand percent. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely crazy that for every physician, you have so many administrators that it, it doesn't take Einstein to see if we're talking escalated healthcare but That is where a lot of our money is going. And I can give you an example, like an internal medicine doctor, I might pick up a list of patients and doing this tomorrow, I might go into work. And then um, I've got patients to see that all piling up. I really want to get to work, but within an hour of staffing, I might get several pages from administrators about how to set my notion a certain way, what I should be billing for appropriately, um, whether a patient should be inpatient or outpatient status. Mm-hmm. All of these things are happening to doctors on a daily basis and really contributing to burnout, um, which is a whole other topic. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it, it is really um, insane to think that for every doctor at the front line, you have this army of administrators and um, tremendous potential for improving that and making the system more lean. But the problem is, I feel there are so many people who are so entrenched in the system that they're not going to want to change it because, obviously, it, there's a famous phrase about never wanting to um, reason with someone about the truth whose job depends on not knowing it. Yes, yeah, so it's so, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, if, if we had all of these people vested in the healthcare system, then why would they have any interest in truly making things more lean and making everything a lot more pure in terms of the physician, patient, and minimal staff around them? Mm-hmm. Well, so my question, I guess it's somewhat provocative, is what came first? Was it the regulation? Or, honestly, I think it's greed on the hospital side. I mean, they're in a position now, for example, where I think doctors were the front line. Now we've seen a change in the workforce to physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and the nurses also have seen a change in the, in the delivery to nursing technicians and all sorts of other ancillary staff, but they're paid less. So is this a matter of profit? Or is it the government that's led to this regulation, ridiculous regulations that cost everything more money? Which came first, in your opinion? Well, I think that the regulation played a, a huge part, but um, there, there are multiple different players. And I, I, to be honest, when I hear, I mean, I haven't been in practice all that long, relatively, but when I hear stories from older physicians who have perhaps been in practice for 30-plus years, and I just hear how things used to be in terms of physicians just having their own practice, billing, being paid for it, and just um, sort of um, being able to get through life like that and feeling tremendous autonomy mm-hmm. and independence as a whole and just making things as small as possible on a micro scale. And I think how things have changed so much in a relatively short amount of time, I don't think physicians can be completely blameless either for, for such a... Uh, a professional group of people with so much clout and respect and ended so much control so quickly, I feel like a, stack of, a lack of strong leadership must have been a factor somewhere as well. And don't get me wrong, I mean, with the way healthcare costs were spiraling out of control and perhaps there was a lot of unnecessary testing in places as well, I just feel that the pendulum has gone too far the other way now. Um, and, and needs to, to come back to, to some, something in the middle. I'm not suggesting that physicians should practice without any oversight, especially when the government is paying. I mean, we all know the phrase, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Mm-hmm. And if, if the government is going to be paying when physicians bill, then there's obviously going to be some oversight. But I feel that the, the first thing that happened when physicians had the, the, the power and control they were um, they were not strong in their leadership to ensure that they had it, no matter what was coming afterwards. 
And then what happened is as medicine, as regulations were coming in, physicians were finding it more difficult to practice medicine and keep their practices open. Many of those physicians were selling out very quickly mm-hmm. to hospitals and, and large organizations. And many of them were actually even taking positions within the administrations themselves and not realizing what they were going to do to future generations of doctors. But I think the inciting step was that healthcare costs were already spiraling out of control and the government had to do something to rein them in. It was what came in between where I feel like we went badly wrong. I think it's, it, I totally agree with what, you, what you're saying. I think we, we could have held the ground or held the line a lot better. But now we are in a position, and you're right, the pendulum is crazy in terms of how it, where it swung, that we don't have control over healthcare delivery at the patient bedside. We have insurance companies that are telling us what standard of care is. Our specialty boards have no say. I mean, I'm sure you're in a, I'm at an ENTM in positions where our specialty board tells us what, you know, when a surgery is indicated, what parameters you need to meet. It's totally ignored by the insurance company. So you end up not being able to help your patient in a way that you're trained to do or you know is the right way and you have no recourse. It's not like you can go to the insurance company and say this is not this is not the standard of care from from my specialty, but I could care less. And then you have the doctors that are in the insurance company model that are there to deny that's what they do. I think that's a conflict of interest, frankly, that you shouldn't have a doctor on your staff that gets to decide whether or not something's approved. I mean, what about Stark Law? Remember that? I mean, it's just kind of strange how the yeah. system is working, and it's not about delivery of patient care. It's about money, and it, we're the front line, okay. so we're always the ones who are the face of it. But it's it's really ironic that we have the least power of of I, all. I completely completely agree with you, and I I actually also coming back to this issue of physicians being partly to blame as well. I feel like we are a very divided house. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote an article about this, um, which I'm happy to share with you about how a divided house always falls. And I feel like physicians, when you consider there's almost a million physicians in the U.S., they would have tremendous bargaining power if they all united together. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're all in our own group. So like an internal medicine doc does not feel anything in common with an orthopedic specialist and vice versa. And we're all sort of fighting our own camps. And this leaves the door open when you've got a divided house for a third party to come in and totally take advantage. And that's what's happened. I think you make a really good state, uh, point there. On, on that note, let's take our second break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics and the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. Welcome back to Medicine on the Call. We're speaking with Dr. Sunil Don, an author of three books, actually, The Ultimate Patient Advocate in Your Pocket, um, High Percentage Wellness Steps, and Thomas Jefferson, The Secret Buddha. And these books are really, they're all coming from at, looking at medicine from a different standpoint. I really love the fact that you write a book as an advocate for the patient. When people get admitted to the hospital, I think they lose a lot of autonomy, especially family members and the patients themselves. And just to have a book that actually tells you the questions you need to ask 
How do you navigate the system? How do you allow your or make sure that your loved one is getting proper care? It's a that's a really huge problem, I think, at this point, isn't it? It is, yes. And um, I worked, as I, I mentioned, up and down the East Coast in different capacities and different facilities from small rural outposts in the middle of Florida to uh, big urban centers in the Northeast. And I really see the same problems coming up over and over again. And I'm a, a huge advocate of most of what any physician does during the day being all about communication. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're very good clinically. I mean, we reach a certain level to be board certified and, and that's all is taken care of. But uh, where we fall down as doctors, but also uh, within healthcare, is how we communicate with patients and take them through a process. Because to us, it might be another name on the list, but to our patients, they're at a very low point in their life. They could have just been going about their daily activities and they're suddenly hospitalized in a completely artificial environment. Their life has been turned upside down. Their family's life has been turned upside down. And I saw the same issues coming up over and over again where I've worked. And I wanted to write a book to really help guide the patient through their hospitalization, what to expect, what questions they should ask, what they should be clear about on discharge to just make it more smoother for them. Oh, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I don't talk to many hospitalists, but I'm curious to know about your experience with that. I, I remember when I, I've done locums on occasion, it's contract work, and the hospitalists were really, I mean, the, you guys worked, there were so many patients that you had to see, you know, dozens literally and have to, you know, I guess, keep all balls in the air while you're covering that that patient load overnight. What do you think about that system? I mean, from an independent doctor standpoint, I know when a patient gets admitted, from my understanding, the, the doctor loses autonomy over that patient, their private doctor, and then the hospitalist takes over. What do you think about that system? Do you think that it, it works? Do you think that there should be a real rigid doctor-to-patient ratio when you're covering patients overnight? Yeah, so um, if we go back to the old system, which was where whenever anybody got admitted to a hospital, their primary care doctor would take care of them, and that certainly was the system when I first started my residency. But even though I have primarily been a hospitalist throughout my clinical career, I do think that that system has some merit because mm-hmm. obviously if the doctor knows the patient, that provides that level of comfort and you get that continuity. And I feel what hospitalist medicine has done is it's really split the inpatient from the outpatient. And especially for older patients who might have a lot of chronic illnesses and be in and out of hospital, we've lost a lot of that continuity and it's very disruptive to patients and their families. That, I would say, is the downside. What I will say is the positive side of hospitalist medicine is because hospital medicine has become so complex and there's so many more treatments and expectations in terms of length of care, it's very difficult for a doctor to come in round quickly in the morning and just maybe have 30 minutes or so to round on several patients and then go to the office and then be getting called throughout the day with any issues that come up. I also think electronic medical records make it very difficult to be efficiently rounding on patients. Previously, again, this is a whole other topic, um, but electronic medical records, of course, are one of the number one reasons for physician job dissatisfaction and burnout, but um, you could previously see a patient in 10 minutes and spend a couple of minutes writing a note. Now it will take 15 to 20 minutes on the computer to do all of the necessary data entry and, and physicians are just having to spend so much more time at the screen clicking away. And and for that reason as well, it's difficult for patients, for patients who are in the hospital to be taken care of by their primary care doctor who will have office commitments during the day. What I do think would be a good idea, and this was actually the model in the first hospitalist job I had after my residency, is that we had a very close link with the primary care group. So every hospitalist would be attached to a primary care group, and we would only see patients from that primary care group when they got admitted to the hospital. This was in central Massachusetts. So we would be able to call the primary care doctor anytime, give them updates. They would be able to call us. We would go to their meetings in the primary care office every month. We would go out for dinner with them. We had a really close link with them, and that was very reassuring when we told our patients that as well. 
that was a very unique model. I haven't seen that anywhere else that works. That's an excellent idea. I think that that communicate. It's all about communication, isn't it? Not only between the doctor and the patient, but physicians. I mean, we have you know, as a specialist, you get these consults, but there's no doctor attached to them, right? So you don't know what question they want to ask. You don't speak with the doctor in the old days. I'm not that old, but it, when I first went into residency, when I trained, there was a huge amount of communication. You know, you spoke with the with the consulting physician. You told them what you were trying to figure out, and, and it was just so much more efficient than it is this black hole almost where you just get a patient, you're not sure what the question is and what the answer is. Nobody talks to anybody. You might get a letter or a note through the electronic medical record system, but it's really not what it was all cracked up to be. I'm not really a fan. As you described, the EHR system has not made life easier. I still get home 8 o'clock at night or 9 on some nights, and it's ridiculous. You should not have to spend that much time documenting things. And do you see anything on the horizon that's going to push that pendulum away from so much data entry to going back to just information. I mean, you're putting more data in than you actually need most of the time. And it, I think it's for population medicine and other other things, but not patient care per se. Yes, well, well I really hope with increased awareness of this topic. I mean, I have actually been writing about this for at least five or six years, and I identified it fairly early on because I was involved in implementation of IT at one of my early hospitals, I realized that this is going to be a huge issue. But now it's just becoming uh, massive. If you look online, so many articles are being written about this. And I feel that healthcare administrations are not going to be able to ignore it for too long when every single physician is coming and saying, what is going on? Why are we spending 80% per day sitting at the computer screen doing data entry? Eventually, something is going to crack. And I I feel healthcare administrations will soon realize that it's making us significant as well. I mean, um, imagine how many more patients could be seen and, and revenue generated that way. If we're talking about revenue, if we just had less administrative and computer work to do as well. Um, and, and that would be my answer to that question, that, that with more awareness and as long as physicians keep pushing and making this a national issue, things will change. It is fascinating to me as well how this is unique the United States. Our situation here goes back way back to uh, when we had the recession in 2009 and President Obama signed the stimulus package because that is when all of this started because within the stimulus package was uh, a hefty sum, almost $50 billion mm-hmm. allocated to healthcare IT. And I don't know what went on behind the scenes but to have that in there. Maybe it had some noble intentions to try to make the U.S. healthcare system more efficient than all-run computer systems. But the problem was that um, organizations, institutions, clinics were being told that they had to implement IT, but if they did not, they would be hit with financial penalties. Right. So there was a huge rush, meaningful use with what we called it, to try to fulfill all the criteria to get IT in. Um, but what nobody took into account was the IT hadn't had time to evolve, and we were left with these huge, clunky, inefficient systems that we're taking an unacceptable amount of time to navigate. I mean, I um, have seen research suggesting that new interns are now spending only 15 to 20% of their day with patients. And uh, the rest of the time, the majority is spent on the computers. I see a lot of the newer interns coming through from top universities in Boston, and the pattern is that they round for an hour or so on their patients in the morning, and then we'll spend 10 hours sitting at the computer in their office doing all of the administrative work. And it makes me very sad, and I feel very passionate about this as well. What on earth have we done to our profession when something like that is happening? I mean, to me, medicine is a social job. You're in and out of rooms. You're communicating with people face-to-face. That is what medicine is all about. It should not be something where the patient is like an afterthought, where, oh, let's see the patient quickly so that we can get to the computer. And I feel that that's the way it has become, unfortunately. Oh, I agree. I'm patients talking about the doctor not even looking at them. Their back is to them because of data, doing data entry, or there's seven minutes on average spent now with actual patient interaction. And I'm not so sure there's examinations going on anymore. It's all about walking in and making sure all the checks are checked, all the boxes are checked, 
writing a prescription electronically and walking out the door. This is not healthcare. And I'm exactly. going to take, we're going to take our last break because I want to talk now about how you have created a business that's really, I mean, I'm, it's fascinating to me that doctors now have an option that they can pull away from this system and become independent once again, but help patient care in the process. You're listening to Medicine on Call. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce a new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. In our last segment, I really want to go over what you've done, what you've created. It's a business that you helped found called Docs Doc. All right, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Docs Docs, D-O-C-S-D-O-X.com. And what you've managed to create is a space that doctors can take their power back, which I find extremely fascinating. So we talked about at the beginning of the show how the pendulum swung towards people leaving independent practice, selling their practices to the hospital, becoming employed physicians, and it's devastated our profession, in my opinion. We have had doctors burn out. We've had doctors commit suicide. I think our profession is number one in in suicide rate, which is really devastating and unbelievable. And what you've, you've created an answer for this. Tell us a little bit about Docs Doc. Docs Docs, sorry. Yes, so I, I started this um, about uh, three or four years ago. I had the um, idea for some time, and it was based on my own experiences working up and down the East Coast and just coming to the conclusion that no matter where I worked, the same issues kept arising. I was hearing the same stories from my colleagues, no matter what their specialty, about how practicing medicine was just becoming more difficult. And what I decided to do was um, take myself out of full-time employment and independently contract out myself with different institutions and do this on my own terms and make my own schedule and determine um, what uh, what I what and when I was working, uh, what type of work I was doing. I now do a mixture of outpatient and inpatient work. But I do it on my own terms. Now, when I started this, one of the places where I worked in Cape Cod in Massachusetts, a few other colleagues of mine were having similar thoughts. And we got together and thought, well, why don't we create a business out of this and help other doctors do the same thing? Because what most physicians don't realize is that we have a skill which is really needed. And we're working at a time when there is a massive shortage of physicians in most specialties. So why not leverage that supply-demand mismatch to come out of the bad situation you're in and really dictate your own terms, which is possible to do, but for most people, 
in some specialties you have to be a bit more savvy than others, but certainly in the generalist specialties, it is very possible to do. So we created this business that basically helps physicians find opportunities in their area, um, whatever their requirements may be, whatever background they come from in terms of specialty. But we do this minus the middleman. So traditionally, uh, a doctor would have to go through a recruiter or agency who would take a large cut of their hourly rate if they were doing locum or per diem work, moonlighting work, or charge the healthcare facility a hefty sum as well. And what we wanted to do was make a service whereby physicians could, just, uh, could register with us, tell us what they're looking for, and we would connect them directly with any facilities in the area that match their requirements, and they could just take it from there between the two of them. And the idea is that we're encouraging physicians to think outside the box to realize, um, say you're an internist, that you don't have to be stuck in an unhappy job. There may be facilities around you, whether it's an urgent care facility, a hospital, an outpatient clinic, that is really looking for people and will negotiate directly with you and say, okay, well, let's, um, you just come and cover for a few days every month. We'll find a contract with you and you tell us when you're available. And it's very possible to do. And now we even have other opportunities in telemedicine. And there's a lot of new opportunities that are arising. But we have had a tremendous well over the last three years doing this because we obviously come from clinical backgrounds. We're not, we don't have business training. And we've had to learn everything from scratch. Uh, we've gone around the country. We've gone to various different conferences and trade shows and really sold our product. And every physician that we're speaking to um, really agrees with our mission, and we are on a mission here. We want to encourage physicians out of full-time employment and to leverage themselves and get the best possible deal because usually if you work in this way, you will end up working less and earning more as well. You just need to know how to do it and be connected with the right opportunities. It's what I have been doing for the last year and a half, and I've never been happier. I make my own schedule, and then I can balance it with my non-clinical activities. And if you take my schedule, for example, I'm not just somebody who is just in a different place every week. I mean, I know where I'm going to be working a couple of months in advance, and I'm attached now to four different facilities. And I will tell them when I'm available, and I'll negotiate rates with them, and, and, and they'll plug me into their, their schedule that way. That's really awesome. And is it all specialties that that can do this? I mean, surgical specialties like ENT for example, or ophthalmology, urology, that sort of thing? We are seeing all specialties now. So we have everyone you can think of registered with us. We, we started in the general specialties, internal medicine, emergency medicine, where for obvious reasons it's a bit easier to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, what we're seeing now is um, specialties like ENT coming in and um, realizing that, yes, there are a lot of opportunities outside of what may be their their regular full-time job. It could be a telemedicine job. It could be even an insurance company that is looking for help on the side. Um, but, um, yeah, you don't know what's out there until you've actually been matched with different uh, different opportunities and you can, you can just work out what's best for you. And why we're different from local companies, aside from what I mentioned about us, dramatically undercutting them and not being as expensive is that we don't exist thinking that we want to serve the institution. We're all about the doctor. Mm. We want the doctor to realize what a valuable asset they are and encourage them to not just come out of the system, but be much happier by doing this as well and regain their independence and autonomy. You know, I can see this is such a boon not only to doctors, but to patients. So I can imagine that you must place doctors in underserved areas, rural areas, because these guys are really hurting for doctors to see their patients. Are you finding that that, that underserved community, you know, hospitals have been devastated and practices don't go, do you find that, that those communities are also being helped with your um, with your company? Oh, yes, all the time. In fact, I, I've done it myself. And um, why we're different is that, um, say, you're a doctor. Obviously, we get lots of different offers. Um, email to us or home mail to us and your first reaction when you sit, when you hear, oh, there's a facility in a rural area that needs help, your first reaction might be like, no, I'm fine, I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. However, if the director of that organization contacts you directly and says, look, Dr. Dan, 
here's what it is. We're really desperate. Would you just come for a weekend every two months? And this is what we'll pay you. And then you negotiate back and forth and you think, oh, okay, you know, this sounds like a really good offer. Maybe I will cover if you're willing to do that. And it's better for the facility as well because they're actually saving money on what they would have spent going through a locums agency or third-party recruiter. They're contacting me directly with their opportunity. And if I had just seen it in print, I may have said no. But when they call me and say, well, it's just a weekend every eight weeks mm-hmm. and we're going to pay you this this good sum of money to come and cover for us and it doesn't sound like a bad job then different doors open and I'm, I'm much more agreeable wow, so yes in answer to your question we do serve areas that otherwise would really struggle to find doctors and are these I mean the patients let's say I'm just throwing it out there if you're an independent doc you don't take in your practice Medicaid Medicare does the hospital credential you to take it in order to see their patients? How would that work? They do, yes. Frequently they do. I mean, there's there's such a physician shortage in certain areas that they would almost do anything to have a doc come and cover them. And what we're even finding, again, I've done this myself, is I've worked somewhere and realized that, oh, actually, this is not a bad place to work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's not, uh, I don't get overworked and uh, the people are very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do more than what I was contracted for and, and let's, let's negotiate some more. But we do rely on the fact that most doctors who have reached this stage of their career know that they're not going to go into something full time because <laughs> I don't mean to sound pessimistic. I'm not a pessimistic person by nature, but I feel that no matter where you go, even if you think somewhere is really good in this employed world, mm-hmm. something sooner or later is going to happen that will make you unhappy in your job. <laughs> so you mentioned that you read my article earlier, which is the premise of my my this whole theory that you should never get attached to a healthcare organization. I feel physicians should be attached only to their own skills. We have a skill set. Take pride in being an awesome doctor. Go and do your best. Be the best doctor possible. Serve your patient and only be attached to that, but know that you can go anywhere you want. You have a very secure job, and as long as you're doing it well, the the world is your oyster. Yeah, you just made my day. I just love that. And that by us taking our power back, that helps our patients, that helps healthcare delivery, that helps lower the cost of healthcare, and it helps, you know, it, it changes the dynamic. Right now, I think it does in, completely change the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, to me, the doctors who are employed are at the mercy of the medical executive committee, of the administrators, and I've been put in positions where I didn't want, I didn't feel comfortable with them asking me to go outside of my scope of practice. And you don't have to live that way. You really don't. That's really awesome. You don't. There is no reason why any physician would feel stuck. And uh, I'll tell you something else. When you work in this way, sort of on a per diem independent contract places treat you better as well because they know you can walk at any stage. That's Mm. what I found because if you're not liking it, they know that you just say goodbye. You've got a dozen other options. And no matter what field you're in in life, I think that's the best position to be in, the the ability to just walk away if things are not what you expect. Everybody owes it to themselves to be happy in their job, but especially a physician who has worked so hard Mm -hmm. to get to where they are and have such a a unique and needed skill set. There's no reason to feel stuck or unhappy with your job and certainly not let healthcare administration ruin your day. Wow. I, mean, I have to have you come back because I know we just scratched the surface. Um, how can people find your website and doctors and I understand nurses and physician assistants are also part of, uh, you offer services for them as well. Correct. Yep. We have lots of nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Obviously, we started primarily serving doctors. And interestingly, we're hearing um, physician assistants and nurse practitioners saying the same, telling us the same thing, that um, they're getting burnt out and not liking their job and don't like uh, being employed. And the, the fundamental issue here is that I think physicians as a whole are just way too smart and too independent minded to be employed. I think no matter what you do, everything is going to come down to that because when physicians realize that they're in an organization that is viewing them as um, just a commodity Mm -hmm. and healthcare as an assembly line, any physician is going to rebel because they're just too smart to want to be in that position. So sooner or later, 
that's going to happen. I, I know people coming out of residency, I speak to them regularly and okay, okay so they, they are in a position where they might be wowed initially by a good contract. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I know how it's going to work out because I've been there myself and mm-hmm. I, I hope it doesn't, but um, that's the way that's the way it is. And healthcare administration, we actually have to sell our product to them. And what we're finding is um, we we're presenting them with problems and they know that their physicians are unhappy and they need staff so they're gladly working with us as well because we want to fill positions but we don't make any secret of the fact that we exist to help physicians regain independence and autonomy our website www.docs.com d-o-c-f-d-o-x.com and from that any physician can register and tell us what they're looking if it's sort of hourly rate they want and then we get to work um, matching them up. We actually just had a, a facility sign up with us in Georgia not so long ago, so we're all over the country now. I love it. I have to contact you. Um, you also have a personal website, suneeldon.com, S-U-N-E-E-L-D-H-A-N-D.com, and you, people can buy your book on your website, correct? They can, yes. Well, you know, time just goes so fast. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I learned a great deal, and I am looking forward to to actually partaking of what you have to offer because I think it's the future, frankly. And thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to talk to you today. I, right, right back at you. And thank you all for listening to Medicine on Call. You can catch the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.